All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode where I am joined today by the incredible Hulk, my dear friend, genius, incredible entrepreneur, so intelligent, making such a big impact, inspires the shit out of me. And also, I learn so much every time he listens. Today's episode was an absolute fire. We talked about why you should stop hiding behind your drug of choice, whether it's 75 hard, Adderall, and how we get addicted to hiding behind them. And with that, how entrepreneurship is the most celebrated addiction of them all and how to break free from that. How humans have thoughts, how we think about them all the time. It's that if we are willing to sit with it and give it a name and explore it and give it a relationship that creates the catalyst or opportunity to change the pattern. We, we talked a lot about really maximizing our ability to be an entrepreneur and understanding that the things that we experience are all learning lessons and the questions to ask and how to sit through and the processes to go through to basically guarantee your wins and success by staying focused on progress. So we actually broke it down on like how we both do it. It was incredibly, incredibly powerful. And then how basically without an awareness, our subconscious ends up working against us instead of for us. And one of the easiest ways to start to change our results, change our behaviors is to rewrite the story about ourselves. And we talk about that. We make some recommendations and we talk about how it applied to both of our stories, him becoming a successful seven-figure entrepreneur, uh, myself is included, making it all, losing it all, and coming back and now sustaining it. And so Neil is a dear friend of mine. Um, I love this man deeply. And so this conversation was incredible. And so I was stoked we got to have it in person. So without further ado, I'm going to stop bumping my gums and let's get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And if we're watching this on video, you can see that I am spoiled again. And by spoiled, I mean, I'm getting to do a lot of these in person. And it's really true. Kevin Costner, I know I entitled an entire podcast calling him a fucking fraud because I said, field of dreams is bullshit. If you build it, they don't come in the lens of entrepreneurship. But in the lens of manifestation, based on an incredible book from a dear friend, Catherine Robin Thomas, called Calling in the One, I built this studio in the office and I put two chairs here, even though I've only been recording solo shows. And it just so happens, like my last seven podcasts have all magically been in person. So that has nothing to do with today's podcast, today's guest, or anything except that was just a silly rabbit hole I felt like diving down because my brain got excited. So with me today... Uh, is somebody that I would call a dear friend. And when you ask me for words to describe this man, I would say that he is like the Hulk of the brain world with a giant heart that is obsessed about making a difference in the world. And if you don't listen, intimidating you with his size so you freeze so that he can love you and help you achieve your goal. That is the only way I know how to describe today's guest. He's a dear friend. He's an incredible entrepreneur. He's an incredible man. So Neil, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, George. I appreciate that. And that was a very uh, flattering introduction and well done, better than I've ever been introduced. So thank you for that. Yeah, man. It's the only thing I can think of. I was like, no, that's like that's like what you are. And I was like, you basically somehow tuned your brain to turn you into a superhero. And I'm a little jealous. And uh, I'll, we'll get to that at some point. We'll have to talk about your secrets or your cycle. I mean, your secrets. This isn't, I'm not Kenny KO on YouTube. <laughs> but with all that being said, I know there's actually a ton of people in our audience that know you um, because you come to our events and you've also been an incredible sponsor uh, with your incredible product, which we will talk about which kind of paints the picture of where you are now, which is the CEO of an incredible company with incredible product. But kind of how did we get here? And maybe maybe where was the beginnings of, where are you from originally, like origins? So I was born in Chicago, but uh, uh, Jersey boy for the most part, six Wh- months went to Jersey. And then where are your parents from? Um, so they're from India. Okay, um, India. Okay. Migrated to Chicago. So Okay. So, so you could be like the Indian Hulk. Yes. Okay, absolutely. got it. Okay, so then maybe where... Where do we start at the like humble beginnings of the Indian Hulk? Yeah, for sure. In Jersey. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Um, so I was a scrawny kid. Just uh, just a fun fact. I mean, I think that's where uh, all Hulks probably start with. But... I love this story because I was just a fucking fat kid. There you go. Okay. <laughs> we can relate on that, right? Okay, cool. Now that um, we got that out of the way. For sure. I mean, so I like, uh, you know, the question, like, where does the story start? Uh, I always think about it and I figured out really where it started. I started when I was 13. Okay. And it took pre-workout for the first time in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, At 13. That, I've never done cocaine. Yep. But I imagine that that 13, that's probably what that feels like for an adult the first time they do that. That is the 13-year-old's cocaine. Okay. Got Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. 100%. Cool. Um, great analogy. So, yeah, I was on the soccer field. I took pre-workout for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh yeah there was a kid from high school that was bullying me right yep. I, was, I think it was 14 rather he was bullying me uh, i was a freshman and we were on the soccer field and uh i took pre-workout and i absolutely decked him just leveled him completely he was on the floor he was hurt and i'm like this is fucking amazing this is incredible um so that's where my love for stimulants actually started. Not kidding. That created know, an anchor. I know. <laughs> this is such a Marvel origin story of like Spider-Man getting bullied and then bitten by a spider and your spider happened to be pre-workout. Yes. Yes. That's... And, and uppers. <laughs> I love this. That's how it started. Okay. Um, and so I realized that if I wanted to be successful in life, I had to take more pre-workout. That's at mm. least what the 14-year-old brain was thinking, which I do. I actually, I do relate to this. So, yeah. Right. And um, as funny as that is, um, that was kind of like the paradigm that I was going through was that if I take stimulants, I'll be more successful. And at a young mm-hmm. age, um, that was very influential. So 15, 16, 17, I'm yep. taking pre-workout, going to the gym, getting bigger. Uh, now I was a soccer player too. Um, so, you know, I ended up uh, playing in college. But um, before I made it to college soccer, uh, when I was 18 years old, um, I had to take these AP tests. I don't yeah. know if anyone knows what AP tests are. And now, I didn't take any of the classes for APs. My right? daughter's in all those. I think that stands for like advanced placement. Advanced placement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my, went... my daughter's just really smart and I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I just take credit for it. There you go. Yeah. I mean, she's your daughter, so you should. <laughs> Um, okay, so AP had to study for those. Yeah, and okay. That's when a friend introduced me to Adderall. Got it. Um, so you know that's where uh, I took Adderall, and uh, it was awesome. 
it was it was awesome mm. then ended up get like getting fours and fives on the test uh which means i passed them uh get college credit thousands of dollars you know mm-hmm. you get to brag to your friends brag to your parents yeah there were some payoffs for you back then oh yeah like there was there was some serious like life relief yeah that was created as a byproduct of that to where it almost probably in most lenses felt like a necessity yep yeah yep absolutely you know and and that's that's really the data i had pre-workout for sure deck a bully get jacked get girls in high school you know take uh, adderall feel like superhuman ace your ap exams you know um you go to college with that and then you have these exams and these final exams and midterms and all that and uh that's that's what i did is i took adderall now can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. So did you also do steroids when you were a teenager? No. No. Okay, cool. So it was just like Adderall, caffeine. Was there anything else? Um, Not really. I mean like creatine, like normal workout supplements. Okay. So it was like pre-workout. It was like all the uppers that we can go buy GNC and then Adderall added into the mix. Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay, cool. So then you were kind of using that in high school. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. And then you go to college and uh, I'm assuming that this kind of follows a similar cycle uh, that you build up a tolerance and then you get to college and the workload and capacity increases. Will you also have a new tolerance? Yes. Now the thing, here's the one thing is that because I wasn't taking too much Adderall in high school, Okay. it was just for those exams. Yeah. 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 Okay. Times. It wasn't a big deal. Okay. But what ended up happening is I was a college athlete, Division One soccer player. Got it. Thought I was going to go pro. Yeah. Uh, I got hurt, got cut from the team. So now I'm walking around. Uh, and I I didn't know that I still had the same work ethic. I didn't know that I still had the same ability to create something. So I thought I was useless, basically. Yep. So I tried to cope with the depression of feeling useless and having no identity with Adderall saying, hey, I'm doing my homework. But really, it was going on benders to uh, avoid the pain of not being something or so I thought. Bro, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast. Oh, I'd love to hear. Um, that was a big repeating cycle for me as an entrepreneur with opiates. Shit. Yeah, like exact cycle that I've never talked about because I haven't heard anybody frame it in a story in a way that I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, like I knew that I did this, but how you framed it made sense. And, 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 and this is all public knowledge. I've been open in, in multiple shows about... Um, obviously the opiate addiction came from all the trauma, right. right? The almost losing my legs, my brain, all that stuff, irregardless, but it was a problem. And I used opiates horrendously for the same reason that you used Adderall. And what was this? Um, this started, I'd say I started dabbling. So I started as an entrepreneur in 2010. I'd say I was, I was consistently taking opiates because it was a part of my life as I was trying to heal. Um, not abusing them 2011, 2012. But then when my tolerance went up, I remember quite a few times I would take a few more because the pain was bad. Mm-hmm. But then I would kind of feel like a superhuman. Yep. And once I started to taste that, it didn't help me not become an opiate addict even worse. Right. It definitely increased um, that urge. Yep. And it was also intermixed with all the other trauma because it was numbing me from the pain right. of the PTSD, of the nightmares, of the all that stuff that was happening at that time. Well, I'm a New York Times bestselling cookbook author on yep. tour. Yep. Oh. 
So what I remember so vividly now when you said that, though, is that I do have a very high work ethic when I want it, like when I'm focused. But I forgot about that. And so I would take these things and I would feel like superhuman, but I wouldn't use it to work. Right. I would use it to go bullshit right. and then work for an hour and do more work than most people would do in eight hours and then say I worked the whole time. Right. And I would like use it as a tool to hide even more. Oh, yeah. Like to disconnect, to oh, disengage, yeah. like to just go like wallow in my bullshit. I remember that so vividly when you said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, that's that's crazy, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, reg- irregardless of the of the thing, right? Whether it's Adderall or whether it's opiates or whether it's obsessive working out at the gym, but yet you sit in your car in the parking lot for forty five minutes on both sides, and the gym is the reason to hide in the yep. car. Yep. Right. Like I I just want to call that out. I think because for me. It changed flavors a lot of times. Yeah. Like the the wrapping paper in the vehicle, my Turo is different every time. Right. But it was still a car ride that I was taking that was identical. A hundred percent. And I think that like the one thing that I want to almost say it's easier about drugs yeah. is that there's a stigma against them. One thousand percent. Whereas like, and this is something that you said re- very recently that stuck out to me. Um, you were you were coaching somebody um and you had said like you can't keep hiding behind 75 hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing about 75 hard is it's socially acceptable. Yep. It's considered noble. Yeah. Right. And it's just like half the people that are doing cold showers, half the people that are putting themselves through physical pain yep. are hiding behind that because they can do it. Or using it as a form of self-punishment with or without that reason of hiding. Right. Yes. Right. You know, and and those are some of the people that maybe they're, they're hard is actually sitting and listening to their wife talk to them. Because that was my heart. Right. Right. Like I, I was the same way. And I'm so glad that you brought light to this because I've talked about this on the podcast as well. Yeah. That like in our world, I think entrepreneurship is the most celebrated addiction of them all. <laughs> That's so well said. Like yeah. we are celebrated the more we hustle. Yeah. The less we sleep, the more money we make, irregardless of meaning or consequence of making that money. Right. And then the more tired we are and sad we are, and then we're like, but we just went back to work, the more fucking encouragement we get. Right. And I'm like, wake up. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up. Right. And like I that was my hard. My hard was and and it took my wife years of 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 drilling this in me. And thank you, baby. I love you. She's in Costa Rica right now, sitting with Mother Aya. So <laughs> she's probably hearing this or feeling this. But um it was something she always said to me and I didn't get it. And I'm gonna ask you about this in your life. She used to say to me, and I used to get really upset, she's like, You're fucking addicted to chaos. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. And she's like, yes, you are. Every time things start going good, you break them. And I'm like, no, I don't fucking break them, right? Now, in hindsight, I broke everything, (laughs) right? But what would happen is that things would be doing good, right? Business would be making a quarter of a million dollars a month, right? And so these behaviors that were making the revenue, I'd be like, ah, don't have to do those anymore. Right. And the only reason I did that is because I'd come to work every day and everything felt easy mm-hmm. and I really felt lost and I wouldn't catch it mm-hmm. because this was happening subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But then instead of doing those three things that like were literally revenue generating activities, I would end up down a YouTube rabbit hole 
or go start recording a new course right. or go break something accidentally. Yeah. And then it would break and I would feel the pressure and then I would feel so clear yeah. and so driven. And it took me five years of the biggest millionaire roller coaster you could ever ride. Right. From like three million up to three million down oh, to God. one up to two down right. to four up to four down because of that. Yeah. Yep. Because of that. And and that's why, you know, and, and obviously like you had me in tears yesterday because you were calling out those patterns, but there's integrity in your call outs from the teddy bear of truth because you've been through fucking every, like you've seen it all. Well, maybe not all, but you've seen most a, of it. A lot of it. You've seen a lot <laughs> of it. Right. And so like. You know, when 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 you speak to me, you're speaking to me from a place of like I've been through it. I've made every mistake. Yeah, I'm seeing what's happening. Yeah, and uh, you you need to go back to doing the things that actually made you revenue in the first yeah. place. Yeah, right. Yeah, so. yeah, and I think too, and the reason the reason I say this is like, what was? And I have a question, and then I'll make my 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 statement. But like for you, what was your childhood like? Like, was it like this? Like you got started in soccer pretty early. Like you had this like drive, yeah, right? Like I want to be the best soccer player. I'm going to be a division one soccer player. I'm going to lift. I'm going to do that. Like where did that come from? That's a great question. Um, from For as long as I can remember. Okay. Like from as long as I can remember, I always felt this like internal feeling of greatness. Okay. And one of the realizations that I had at a young age was that one is that passion is not inherent it's cultivated yep right you could like if someone was to say and and god you know god please keep please keep me safe here if i could never be an athlete mm -hmm. i would literally go try and be a, uh the best saxophone player of all time yeah i would go if, if a piano was put in front of me i'd be yep. the best piano player yep. if a poet if, if i had to be a poet i would do that yeah so for me it's like i believe that the human condition is a function of finding a worthy cause and then just trying to be the best at it and uh, the best that you could be at it. Um, mastery is really important to me. It's always been since I was younger. But to answer your question, I think that I always had it. And the uh, framework around it, like why does this exist within me? How does it exist? I never questioned it. I just mm -hmm. realized that that's what gave me mm -hmm. – uh, that's what eliminated any existential angst for me. Mm -hmm. So I always feel a sense of meaning mm -hmm. because I recognize that whatever's in front of me, mm -hmm. I just try to be the best at it. And it was always like that. I guess my parents signed me up for soccer and I happened to love it and I just happened to pursue it and say that's what it was. If they signed me up for baseball, it probably could have been baseball, mm. you know. And then, okay, yeah, so so interesting. I'm, I'm just going to share my thinking out loud because like – I don't get to have these conversations often. You're someone I can have these conversations with. Um, but like hearing you say that, like it's so interesting because I'm reflecting obviously my own thoughts, my own narrative, my own story through my brain as I'm hearing you. Like I'm, I'm processing it through my experience. And it's so interesting for you to hear, to hear you say like, I always knew I had this greatness. I had this drive because like I think about my childhood and I don't have any memories of that. Like, huh. I don't have any thoughts in my childhood of like, I'm destined to be great. I'm, you know, I'm going to be awesome. Quite contrary, I have a lot of memories of like trauma. And I remember that like one of the things that I used to wish for was that I could have a superpower so I could handle my pain, but then do good and stop other people from suffering. Right. And that would come occasionally, but the rest of it, I had the same drive, but my drive was out of survival. Right. Right. And so... I'm going to ask you a question about this because 
my drive was out of survival for most of my life. So survived homeless, you know, 17, joined the Marine Corps. Being in the Marine Corps is survival every day. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's no joke. And then trauma, combat, come out, start becoming, become an entrepreneur before I get out of the Marine Corps <laughs> and add a new addiction for an 18 month overlap so that when I get out, I'm already replaced all the hours and intensity that I had just with entrepreneurship. Right. And when these patterns started breaking everything in my life, right, my, my relationship, my business, my kids, and I started doing the real work, right. um, you know, MDMA assisted psychotherapy was like the first big, well, EMDR was the first big catalyst. That was the one that kind of cracked me open. Right. That led to MDMA assisted psychotherapy, which kind of was like, holy moly, yeah. which then led to uh, psilocybin with therapists, which then led to ayahuasca. Right. And that was kind of like my ascension path with breath work and other things mixed in. When I had the ego death and the realizations from the consequences and collateral damage I'd created in my life, mm -hmm. met with the truth and the healing of like these acceptances of like, oh, I, I don't want to die. Like, I, I don't want to take my life. Like, I want to live here. Right. There was a three year gap before I ever even felt any urge to do anything. And I had built everything in my life on a fuel source of insecurity. Right. And then I healed it. Right. And it was a three-year battle. Yeah. Struggle. Like, and I mean daily. Six months on the couch. Yep. To the where my wife was pregnant, threatening to leave me and get a job to support herself because I wasn't going to be able to take care of the family. Right. Like that level of like nothing in me. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Because on your perspective, like you had this drive, yeah, you've had it in you, you've seen it. It was it was either nurtured by you, nurtured by your environment. Have you ever gotten or hit in any roadblocks or resistance with it? Have you ever like fell out of touch with it or lost it? So this is uh, so. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That's that's actually very fascinating. But in in answer to your question, here's what I'll say: Growing up. I always felt like a loser. Okay. With this voice deep within me that says that you that, weren't, that I wasn't. Got it. In fact, like right now, I honestly, up until this trip seeing you, that feeling has been stronger than it's ever been in my adult life with a certain level of material success in my business. Mm -hmm. um, a feeling like the biggest loser I've ever felt like, except for when I was a kid. Yep. But that voice of, yeah, but Neil, you're great. You know that. Mm -hmm. That's why when you said to me, you're just like, you know, the only reason why you're ever going to not be successful is if you quit, but you're also not going to quit. So stop with your bullshit. That's why <laughs> I started. <clears throat> stop. I was like, that's why I started crying because I'm like, all right, well, if the only way I can lose is if I'm going to quit yep. and I'm not going to quit, then everything in between is causing suffering. And then if I know I'm great, then what am I doing? I'm thousand losing, percent. Right. Um, so I never had a period like that so much so that even like when I was, um, you know, in, in the depths of my drug addiction, mm -hmm. I, I would have 48 hour benders, 72 hour benders wow. where I would just be awake all night and two nights in a row, three nights in a row. Uh, I would still go to the gym. Mm. Like I, I just had my hood on. I couldn't talk to anyone cause I was too anxious and jittery For from sure. all the drugs, you know, um, go with my check-in card, boop, check in and wow. then just like, wouldn't talk to anyone. I was still went to the gym do the whole thing, wow. you know, um, which was bizarre. 
but um yeah but I mean bizarre he, because you weren't sleeping or bizarre because why because like like even as a quote-unquote like junkie that's mm-hmm. what i identified myself with like i was a studious junkie i would read well, anatomy books well here's here well you know? i have a theory on this yeah so here's my theory so i was actively bulimic for right around 15 years yeah I was a New York Times bestselling cookbook author on book tour. It's amazing. Well being bulimic. Yeah. Well having an opiate addiction. Yeah. Well literally being out of integrity in almost every area of my life right. because I was a junkie. My theory was the easiest place to hide was in plain sight. Yeah. Yep. Which is why I got away with it for so long. Uh-huh. Because I outfunctioned everybody. I could go to CrossFit and smoke you. I yeah. could out content you. I could out market you. I could out business you. I could out talk you. I, I could, and I, I'm laughing at this now because of how insane it is and how I thought that was like power or some way I wanted to live my life, which is fucking hilarious right. because I wish I could go smack myself right. across the mouth <laughs> right, or choke slam myself for lack of better terms. Yeah. But yeah, that was, um, I, I had the same thing and I was always conscious about it and it created this like pressure of required discipline. Yeah. So that I was, Almost operating like I, I would make up a, a a serial killer would. Right. No evidence. Right. None. It's the functioning addict, right? Yeah. And you know the the realization that I had. I'm like, wait a second. If I could be withdrawing from a drug bender that was 40 hours long, and I can go take a cold shower, and I have the discipline to do that, why can't I just have the discipline to stop taking the fucking drug? To stop taking the drug. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. You know. So that's how. That's actually the process of how every one of my addictions was eradicated. And the only way that they were permanently eradicated is when I started to have dialogue with my bullshit. Right. For lack of better terms. Right. When I was just willing to sit down and sit in the smell of the shit that was ruminating. Right. And be like, okay, what 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 are you doing? Right. Like you're a functioning addict. Well, doing an ice bath at 4 a.m. every morning and documenting it on YouTube before you fucking go to CrossFit and then you're selling and scaling courses and you can do all that well taking these, but yet you're going to convince yourself that you can't not take it yeah. or you can't not ask for more right. or you can't not refill it or you can't just say, hey, I still have a problem or hey, go back to my therapist or hey, how about you be accountable to what you're pretending to do? Right. It was only when I like really started dancing with that bullshit that I was I was able to kind of see the evidence and allow it to create a big enough wedge for me to start really checking myself. Absolutely. And and when you had that dialogue, what was the tonality that you would have with whomever that demon was? Myself? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll summarize this in two answers. Answer one, when I failed, I made myself the demon. Yeah. I was a failure. I was never going to be a good father. I was just like I said everything I never wanted to be. I repeated the behaviors I swore I would never repeat. Like it was all self-loathing and Mm self-hatred and um, really bad self-dialogue. Intermixed with the occasional like soul smacks of like, 
self-love, but then immediately almost like intentionally drowned out. Yeah. Because I don't think I was ready to see it any differently. Mm. And I was self-suffering a lot. And I was like looking for the evidence. Right. Um, So that was side one. And side two and the side that I've never let go since is the side where I actually recognize that those parts of me make me who I am. Right. And it's never about eradicating them. It's never about eradicating my thoughts or my fears or my insecurities. It's about actually giving myself space to explore them. Right. And then have a relationship with them. Yep. And that's what took me years. And I'm talking, you know, seven figures of therapy, every modality you can imagine, every plant medicine you can imagine, every amount of pain, Lindsay asking me to leave twice, almost bankruptcy, business rebirths, like all of it, like boiled down to that. The relationship that you have with yourself. With myself. Right. Which is why you know I'm so bullish on stillness practices and space and breath. And they still, to this day, scare the ever-living shit out of me. Right. And it's because of that I understand the power of them. Right. And I run towards them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and the meditation and breath work are an absolute necessity for me. Yep. Uh, for, the, for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, I am getting to a point now where I use a lot of comedy. And actually, I was speaking to, to our too. friend, right? Um, uh, Matty P was telling me yep. about this too. And he was talking specifically about, you know, hard, uh, like really, really hard races he does. Yeah. And when the voice that comes that wants to quit, right? Yeah. Or in my case, the voice that wants to say, oh, we're not going to get this funding or business is going to go down or this, that, or the other. Yep. I used to try and say, oh, I love you. It doesn't work for me. But you know what does work for me? joking around with him yeah you motherfucker you're not gonna quit right? for sure can you stop now neil can you stop for sure and that works comedy yeah. works you know? well you know what i think what it is it, it it's it's the science is you have to have a relationship with all parts of yourself if you study carl Jung, then it's shadow work right if you go into men's work david dieta it's consciousness work sometimes we call them we name the shadows like we name those dark thoughts like i remember one dude he and and full kudos, and I'm not disclosing anything that I can't disclose. But he carried a lot of shame as a man around his wife because he would have these thoughts of like, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. And then he would be like, I can't, I can't say that, I can't do that. And then he and he wouldn't be intimate with his wife. Right. And so he's explaining this to all of us, and we're all having to name him. He's like, I'm gonna call that my sex pig shadow. <laughs> and he like gave it like this southern accent, and he started to kind of like joke with it. And in naming it and joking with it, he went home that night to the hotel and called his wife and like told her the story. And it led to this entire conversation of like intimacy between them that like kind of like kickstarted this whole new evolution of their relationship. Not because it was bad and wrong, not because it was a bad thought. No, humans have thoughts. We think them all the time. It's that you're willing to sit with it and give it a name and explore it and give it a relationship that creates that catalyst or that opportunity. Right, right. Yeah, so I think it's it's huge. I think humor humor is a good way. I, for me, I have to trick mine. Right. I know that. I know It's the joker in the deck, bro. My, my imposter syndrome, my whatever shadow you want to call it and whatever flavor of my shadows, yeah. they're like little tricksters. They're almost as manipulative as I was in my prime. Right. Right. 
I have to trick them. So I have to use inversion theory all the time. Right. So like when they come in, I actually make them right. Right. And I'm like, fine, you're totally right. Uh All right, cool. Let's do it. What would it look like? Right. And then when I start thinking about like what it would look like. Right. It immediately changes my perspective. 100%. And then I'm like, oh, wait, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Um, okay, that was a funny thought. I'm not doing any of that. Right. But it was only allowing me to get there because I was willing to be like, oh, that's a scary thought. Mm. But let me dance with it. All right, fine. Do it. Do it. And I never do it. It's, and and it's it's I love that you brought that up. Um, it's a muscle that you have to practice. I think is is tapping into that tool. Yeah. But I fucking love the inversion inversion. There is it called inversion mm-hmm. therapy? Yeah. Um, it's called <clears throat> inversion theory. Inversion theory. Um, because e- even like when we were talking about specific cases in my business, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And and uh, we went through it. I'm like, wait a second. If I can reverse engineer everything that I have to do to fuck my life up or fuck my business up, yes. If I can write it out step by step. All I have to do is not that, or not even that. better, even better. If I want to make my life amazing, all I have to do is not that and just do the opposite of it. Yeah. And damn, I'm yeah. in an amazing place. It's so empowering. So like, I'll give everybody an example because I think it's powerful. So you know at the event when I talk about the not to-do list? Uh-huh. That's where this came from. Gotcha. Right? So uh, I got to give full credit to my buddy Brad Costanza. Uh, his podcast is incredible. Everybody go listen to it. He's been on the show. It's called Bacon Wrap Business. Brad, I love you, bro. Um, he taught me this and- I was really stuck, like really, really stuck at like this decision point in my business, really, really stuck. And I was stuck for months, right? And I was just kind of in this stagnation gap. And everything I thought about felt really hard, like really. And I was, I just couldn't get clarity. And so Brad gets me on the phone. We're on Zoom. And he's like, all right, so what's your fear? I'm like, I'm going to lose the company. And he's like, all right, cool. Well, let's pick a lens. And he's like, and, and one of the things that I was really stuck on was uh, our digital course suite and doing an event or not. Mm. I'd only done private events at that point, like only for mastermind members, only for coaching groups, right. never like, hey, public event, come to Montana. Right. I had this weird resistance with it. Yeah. My wife had tried and been pushing me for years and I was like really fighting it. It was a self-confidence thing. Well, is it, I mean, I don't think it's, I, I, can't sit here and say that throwing a public event and having resistance to it is ever weird. I mean, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? No, like, my dance with the weirdness lasted for years. That's weird. It was, yeah, yeah. thank you. Okay, cool. So, like, I, I got to be honest to here, right? And so I couldn't make a decision. And so because of it, I wasn't launching a course. I wasn't launching an event. And Brad's like, all right, so what's your, your number one fear? And I was like, I'm going to lose my fucking money, bro. <laughs> and he's like, all right, fine, cool. Tell me three things that would guarantee in the next 90 days you lose all of your money. And he's like, no, be specific. And I was like, cool. And I start labeling them. And he's like, all right, then do it again. And he broke this down for me, like the seven whys, the Chinese whys, to like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And then I was like, oh, you motherfucker. Hmm. And I was like, those are all the things I'm doing right now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And then it brought this perspective for me. And then I realized, I'm like, okay, cool. Irregardless of my lack of clarity, all these things have to be done in order for this to even have a chance to work when I get the clarity. Right. And once I found that, once I started taking those actions, the clarity came. Right. Right. And so for everybody listening, you know, sometimes people tell me like um, how they're frustrated with Instagram. Right. right? And they're like, um, <laughs> they come up with a multitude of reasons, which there are hundreds. And it's normally some frustration around like, I, I, I'm not getting comments, right? right? I want more comments. And they're like, I just don't know what to do differently. And I'm like, cool. 
And I'll just ask them, like, well, tell me three to five ways or actions or behaviors that if you did would guarantee you got no more comments. And no, normally number one is like, I wouldn't post. Right. And I was like, awesome. I'm like, have you been frustrated in the last couple of weeks and skipped posting? And they're like, totally. Right. <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, what's another one? They're like, well, if somebody comments, I wouldn't respond. Right. I'm like, awesome. We list them out. And I was like, all right, awesome. First, how many of these are you currently doing? And they're like, almost all, all of them. Yep, all of them. And we're like, cool, step one. And I was like, so would it be fair assessment if you just do the opposite of these that you might not get the result you want, but it will at least get you closer? And they're like, yeah. And I'd say eight out of 10 times, it typically is the answer. Yep. So for a lot of people, myself included, when I'm in really big overwhelm, I have a big challenge being solution oriented, but I am really good about being problem oriented. So rather than make that wrong, I just change the question. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, if I'm so good at the problems, let's talk about them. Right. What would I do and how would I act that would create it? And once I see it, I'm like, okay, just do the opposite. I love it. I and, love it. and it works. And so what, what I do typically, and I do this with entrepreneurs as well, is I'll ask entrepreneurs all the time, like, what are your needle movers? And they can't tell me. They cannot tell me for the life of me what makes money in their business or where they should be spending their time. They're a podcast host. And I'll be like, how about, you know, recording podcasts, right? <laughs> they cannot see it. And so I'll typically have to ask them like, all right, well, what things do you do every day that get in the way of you doing what you're supposed to? And they'll like tell me and then what we'll be left with is the needle movers, right? right? As the byproduct. And so I make them use inversion theory and then they create this list. And then that's what I make them put on their not to do list. Right. So they actually have to print it and put it in front of them. So like when they're writing an email and get triggered or get a bad email and that behavior takes over, they have a pattern interrupt to be like, oh, wait, hold on. I said that I didn't want this thing. Right. And if I do one of these behaviors, it's going to get me that thing. Right. So I either need to be honest and say, I really don't want to run this business anymore right. and do one of these behaviors or break check myself right. and pause and hopefully not partake in one. Absolutely. So that's where that comes from. Yeah. It's powerful. It's powerful. Uh, and awareness, awareness is the key. I think it does bring awareness. Uh, and I think it makes it funny. Well, I, 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 I think it's funny. Like I, I never got this in plant medicine. So uh, for those listening, if you've ever done plant medicine, this will make sense. If you've never done plant medicine, this might not make sense. Um, you've done plant medicine. I, uh, I, so I've never done an IA ceremony, but I've, I've taken microdoses. Of but IA you've never done a full IA? No. You ever no. done full mushrooms? Yes. Okay. You get it then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would always hear this thing of like, I would ask a shaman or some like really integrated, you know, spiritually connected person, typically plant medicine. I'd be like, you know, like, oh my God, like my life's in meltdown. And they're like, you just have to laugh at the cosmic joke. And I'm like, laugh at the fucking joke. My wife left me, bitch. Like, <laughs> I want to fight you right, right now. Right. What? You want me to laugh? Right? Like my life was in shambles and I never got it. And then I remember one ayahuasca ceremony, uh, one of my purges, instead of it being vomit, it was laughing. And I mean, it was it was painful laughter. I was crying. It hurt so bad. But it was like this big release and, and it changed my perspective and clarity. And, and it brought into perspective how these little molehills or roadblocks happen in my day. And the moment they happen, my brain goes to... My wife is leaving me. I'm going bankrupt. I'm never going to speak to my kids again, and I'm going to die tomorrow. Right. And I start making decisions from that place yeah. just because I, I, I'm failing to see the cosmic joke mm-hmm. in all of this, mm-hmm. which 
typically I can only see again through a perspective shift. Right. Because it's never that serious. It, it never is. It's never that real. Uh-uh. Ever. Uh-uh. And, and um, that, like, sto- I think story is such a big part of it, right? It's like, what story are you choosing to believe on a moment to moment, an hour to hour, day to day basis? Bro, you shared this with me in the office, right? So just for context for everybody listening, um, actually, let's just do this now. This will help me help everybody. Tell everybody what company you own, what you make, what you do. Yes. Let's Found, start there. Founder and CEO of Evolve Air. Uh, very proud of our company. We make nootropics. Uh, we just put out a sleep aid. Uh, and ultimately, we're a brain health company. And we have awesome products centered around uh, improving people's brain health and ultimately helping them transform into the best versions of themselves. Beautiful. Yes. And the product is incredible. Uh, I take it a lot. And I am probably their number one non-drug dealer product dealer because i give these things out like they're candy yes we appreciate that yeah um they're really really good (laughs) really really good uh what's the website name for everybody yep www.evolver.co.co we spell that for everybody e-v-o-l-v-e-r-e.co and my favorite product just for the record is the gold same with mine by the way it is oh it's the best okay yeah it's the gold because there's the classic the non-stim and the gold yep okay so i want that context for everybody listening because uh neil's here we've been doing an intensive on the business to kind of just skyrocket this thing and uh they've had a lot of clarity it's incredible brand incredible product well in this and extracting his genius um i got to hear all these powerful frameworks and i'm obviously obsessed with psychology and the mind that's what i work on and you've just shared a few that I got to write down. And I even glossed over them and writing them down because we were kind of mission focused, but they're really fucking powerful. And I know that you're kind of obsessed with the brain and you're kind of just leading down this rabbit hole to explain, explaining one around this concept of beliefs and believing stories. So first, I would love for you to kind of explain this. Uh, I think you know Scott Oldford, but Scott was on the show and Scott's an incredible entrepreneur. And I love how he does this. He has an alarm on his phone that goes off twice a day and it goes off and asks a question and it says, is what you're doing right now aligned with your vision? Right. Right. And typically he'll check himself and ask like what he's doing. And if he's doing something that's not what story he's telling himself right. so that he can rewrite that story. Yeah. So can you kind of give context a little bit to what that means? For what sure. the power of that is? Because then I want to talk about kind of your like six step thing you shared with me yesterday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the question is what story is running the show, right? What beliefs are running the show? So if you are, for example, massively overweight, right, and you believe that about yourself, right, that's your identity. And, and, you know, what we went over, obviously, was uh, we came up with was was identity will then yield beliefs, right? So who you think you are will then start to yield the prevailing thoughts and stories and beliefs that you have about yourself, right? And so as long as you see yourself as that person who's massively overweight, right? And you keep believing that about yourself and you keep seeing yourself as that. It's going to be hard to exercise willpower to override that because ultimately the story is I'm overweight. I'm not worth it. I'm fat. Yep. You know, I only deserve to eat unhealthy food. I deserve to, to stop at the Dunkin' Donuts when I'm driving yep. by, you yep. know? And so, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting against yourself. Your subconscious is working against you, not for you. Yep. And so uh, really the first place you want to start is changing that story about who you are. Yep. Um, your story and your behavior change will precede, not it will not change after you get the result, but rather you need to change the story before you get the result so that you can get the result. 1,000%. And I want to I wanna stop there. I want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. This, This is so important. So first, like, 
I, I'm kind of, and, and this is some self-admission for everybody, I'm kind of like, for most of my life, I was the critic, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm like, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way. And uh, I'm going to make this statement to everybody now. I'm pretty fucking woo-woo now because woo-woo works. Hell yeah. And, and I just want to say that for context because, like, if you really want the secret to being a millionaire, practice woo-woo. Yeah. Because woo-woo works. Because what most people call woo-woo is just using all the other tools at your disposal to create an environment that basically guarantees your success. Can I ask you something about that? Yes. And this is a question I'm asking on behalf of yes. uh, the materialists who don't believe in the woo-woo, right? Um, where would they start? 1,000%. And this is why I was going to talk to you about this because you just alluded to this. Yeah. Um, when I think about what broke through for me, you just alluded to it, right? Uh, the first step was I really kind of had to have an awareness of like, how I saw the world, yeah. right? Like, and I can tell you what this looked like for me because it's documented on the internet. If you go listen to any podcast from me, anywhere up until about five years ago, every year that I struggled in business, all of those podcasts answered one question the same. And they would say, George, tell us about your story. And I'd say, oh, I'm bulimic. I'm a sex and love addict. I'm a blank. I'm a badge of honor of all of these things that I'm making my identity. Right. And then you go listen from five years till now, and I've had the most success I've ever had in my life. Right. I say things like, oh, at one point I struggled with an eating disorder, and then I was able to overcome it by mm-hmm. working on this and this and this. And the story that I tell about myself 1,000% dictates all the results that I create. Yep. And so I thought that was woo-woo right. until I tasted it, which then led me into the science of it. Yep. And for an easy science lesson in the understanding of this, somebody that I trust incredibly a lot is Benjamin Hardy. Go read his book, Personalities and Permanent, and Andrew Huberman talks about this all the time as well. Right. And so I wanted to call out what you said because I think it's very, very important because you know, for me, I would have those thoughts and get frustrated. I'm like, I see it differently. I want to be different. Why can't I choose different? Mm -hmm. Why can't I do something different? Mm -hmm. And at that point, there were really only two limitations. Limitation one was most likely the physical capacity of my brain and my neuroplasticity because I was also dealing with traumatic brain injury. And that there is a physical component to your emotional health and your brain health matters, which you talk about and we'll talk about more. The other side of it was my programming that I was referencing in relation to what I should be doing to get something different. The problem was, is that I was reading the owner's manual for the story I was telling myself, Mm -hmm. not for the story that I want to be told. Right. And so rather than writing a new book, I was rereading the same old book and expecting a new book to be written. Yep. That's how I would describe that for me. It doesn't, and it does. It, that can't happen. And I think what's really important, especially for entrepreneurs, but just just anybody in general, is having people that can reveal that to you, right? And so one of the stories, uh, it's actually probably one of the most prevailing, if not the prevailing, narrative that I've been having about myself mm-hmm. is the struggling entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? And when we were making statements on the board, right, you know, I was saying things that were accurate, but I was saying things. <laughs> in the that that really referred to me as the struggling entrepreneur 1000 and you're like why the fuck are are all of these written in a way as if it's a fight as if it's a battle like yeah. do you really think this is going to be marketable and appealing no yeah right yep 
you know, uh, and you, you pointed to Mark and you said, Mark, can you heartify this a little I bit? I did. I said, Mark, put some heart in this. Yeah. 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 And for those, when we keep looking off camera, we have a live studio audience of, you know, Mr. You know, Irish Hulk over there. <laughs> uh, are you Irish? Italian, Italian, Italian Hulk over there. You know, I'm just surrounded by uh, my small stature as a man, but it is okay. I love myself. <laughs> so the reason I say that is, and and I was going to ask you about this, is that, you know, in, in reflection now, I can see it so clearly. At the time, I couldn't. Right. I felt consumed and overwhelmed by the story that I was operating from. Yeah. And a lot of that came from, I was kind of more obsessed with understanding where the story came from out of fear rather than just kind of writing a new one. Right. And it really comes down to this. There were only a couple of reasons stories were instilled in me. Number one was zero to seven and my paradigm as a child, the world that I grew up in, right? And then you get the socioeconomics, the school, the blank, then I get the Marine Corps, and then I get my life experiences on top of it, right? All of these different moments in my life happened, but then they created a narrative. Right. The moments don't matter because the narratives all are these same kind of core ones that were there. Mm -hmm. And those are what I was operating from. Right. And so I, I think this is a huge, a huge, huge part. And the reason I wanted to call out the physical and the emotional side is because there actually was a very critical moment in my healing where I was doing all this emotional work and it would keep stopping at a point. And then we started looking at my brain because I did have seven traumatic brain injuries and we started doing physical healing on my brain. And the more we would do, the more emotionally regulated I was and the better I was and the longer my periods of like really good gaps would be. And then the roadblocks were tinier and they got right. smaller and smaller. And the more I did on that side from the brain health to the supplementation, to the food, to the stem cells, to all of it, the more both actually worked well together synergistically absolutely. so i i'd say part one is we talk about mindset and i think you're so big on this it sounds like step one for you is you kind of have to be aware of the lens in which you're seeing the world right right and so you shared something with me about this which i'd love for you to share that you have when you kind of get yourself in a pattern what you use in a voice note to kind of talk yourself and, and almost like a stalled empty chair process yourself into clarity. Yeah. Can you share that with everybody? Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, the first thing is, is that if I'm feeling a certain way, yeah. right. I, uh, you know, uh, I'll leave a voice note and I'll ask myself, okay, uh, why do you feel this way? Right. And then when you ask yourself, why do you feel this way? Uh, it, it kind of unravels the story, unravels the narrative. Okay. And then I ask myself, okay, cool. Um, what belief, what belief is causing me to feel this way? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, then I deconstruct it and I say, what's a new belief? Can you give, can you give me an example of this too after, with each one? For sure. So if I feel resentful, okay, perfect. I feel resentful uh, because of an experience I had with uh, a woman, for example, yep. right? Okay. Someone I'm talking to. And uh, then I ask myself, okay, why do I feel resentful? Okay. I feel resentful because I feel rejected. Why do mm -hmm. I feel rejected? Because she didn't text me when I thought she would text me. And then what is that? What's the belief behind that? Well, she's not texting me because she doesn't think I'm that important. Mm. Right. Okay. And then I it, try to insert a new belief in there. And the new belief is uh, she sucks and I'm important. And then I say, do I believe that? No. Okay. Let's throw that one out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she's really busy. 
and she also didn't want to disturb me because I told her I was working and she loves me. Do I believe that? Oh, I believe that. Okay, let's put the new belief. 1,000%. And then all of a sudden, the resentment just happens to dissolve away because now you realize, wait a second, this is a woman who loves me and didn't want to disturb me, and she's also very busy herself. And the resentment happens to go away. Uh, and when you can like get into a habit of constantly doing that uh, and that becomes a muscle, those negative beliefs just oftentimes don't even come because the story that you keep telling yourself is one of constructive beliefs. But I think what's really important here is to make sure that the new belief you like replace has to feel authentic. It has to be something it, you for actually sure. believe. You, you know? can't fake it till you make it there. Yeah. But I also think what's important to call out is, you, is you're referencing this as a muscle. Yeah. Because – um, like you in this, in this example, um, uh, this is a tool that I use quite often because things like this still happen to me to this day where like I'll text my wife and out of a normal pattern, she won't respond. Right. And instead of in that moment being like, oh, she's busy or one of the horses got sick or she's on a call, my brain goes to, is she okay? Is she mad at me? Did right. I do something wrong? And even to this day with the amount I practice it, if I have any stress in my life, that reticular activating system is tuned into. And so I still use this all the time, but I wanted to call it out because I think it's so important because early on in, in the game for me when I was struggling a lot with behaviors and habits and beliefs and that old narrative, I also struggled because I thought there was a finish line. Mm. Like I thought I was like, oh, I got it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, or, oh, I healed mm -hmm. or, um, oh, it's all fixed now. Right. I didn't get the whole point where nothing changes in my life except now I have a new tool, but I still have to use it. Right. I didn't get that part. Nobody briefed me on that part. Right. And But here's the beautiful part about that is that when you start using the tool consistently, your life will open up and expand. 1,000%. When your life open up, opens up and expands, you will be given more challenges. Yes. That's the that's the condition of getting better at stuff. Yes. Right? So when you become better at being an entrepreneur, you're likely going to have more employees, more sales, more customers, yep. all the things that you asked for in the first place. Yep. Right. Yep. And your, your trauma patterns, they might get a little bit louder in those cases because the yep. pressure goes up and the challenges goes up. Yeah. But one that's beautiful too, they're fucking opportunities that you asked for. 1000%. Right? You know, and now it's just another opportunity for you to continue that healing process that's everlasting. And the funniest thing is I'm judging myself a little bit here right now. Yeah. Because I feel as though I've been a hypocrite with that up until I got to this place right over here. And, you know, this, yeah. this, 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 uh, intensive we did. And I'm like, okay, hold up, Neil. Like you gotta, you gotta go back to all those tools that you used to use. A thousand percent. You're man. not worse because you slipped into old behaviors. No. You're just dealing with a bigger business. One thousand percent. That's all it is. One thousand percent. And listen, man, like it, it's, it, it, this is why, and, and I, I think I shared this with you the other day when people ask me like, you know, when you say every morning you wake up, you imagine that you lost your wife, your kids, your friends, and your business. You have to earn it back every day. Why is that? I'm like, quite frankly, because just because I said it and did it yesterday doesn't mean I'm going to do it again today. Right. So I have a podcast and I coach people to remind them of all the things that I need to remind myself of every single day. Yeah. And it's finding a, 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 a proactive pulse check or habit or ritual or routine that allows you to read that barometer, yeah. irregardless of whether you say it. And typically mine is really funny. And it happens on this podcast or in conversations all the time. Mm. Like I'll be consulting, you're doing an intensive and I'll say something and I'll be like, oh, that tickled my tummy. <laughs> oh, 
Got it. Yep. Needed this reminder. Gonna send a message when we're done. That's why I said that today, yep. right? I think it's about really finding those moments and then using them to kind of check and then realign. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Dude, it's it's really, really funny. So don't, don't think you're the only one. That's what I feel like 99% of my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yep. There it is again. There it is again. Then I have to laugh about it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Because right now I'm talking to you. I can't be doing any of those things. Right. Right. So I think... I think there's probably a lesson in there. And I think probably for you, a lot of the things that we talked about in the last couple of days is like even finding ways in those moments when they happen to create those pauses, yeah. right? To to find that perspective, whether it's sending yourself a voice note right. and kind of dancing with your own belief, whether it's laughing at it, whether it's uh, using inversion theory on it, whether it's boom, I think earlier we we said this and you said this is that awareness is the finish line, right? And, and I say this all the time because in that space, you can look at what story is operating. You can look at what behaviors it's aligning to, what words you're using to describe it, and you can change them. Right. You can change them, and you can't do that if you're not aware of it. Right. Absolutely. And I say this now, and I, I feel like a broken record. I've said this so much in the last couple of months, but I think it's because I finally get it. Like I get it in where it like works in my life every day, so I'm kind of like passionate about it. Uh-huh. To where like there was there's even a period I can reflect on that was like a good three years to where I had the same awareness as I had now, but when I had them, I convinced myself I needed more. Right. And so I didn't take the action on that. <laughs> and it prolonged right. suffering. Uh-huh. And I look at it now and the things that I take action on that are so easy in my life now that used to feel so challenging. Right. And I see them the same way I saw them three years ago. Right. The only difference is now I'm taking the action. Right. Because I used to be like, no, there's more. No, there's more. Like, there, no, you, it can't be this easy. No, you, no, uh-uh, right? It was constant. Yeah, and I, that was the that was what was very profoundly brilliant about your observation is bef- basically before I said anything besides forgive you a hug and ask you how you're doing and you're yeah. explaining some you know stuff going on with you, but um, that was your diagnosis. Yep. It was essentially that. It's yep. like you have the awareness. Yeah. You you have the fucking awareness. Yep. Right? You're simply not taking action yep. because you have this belief that you need more awareness. Yep. And that's a bizarre place, at least for me. It's a weird paradox. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. And and I think and I talk to a lot of people about this. Like this is probably like my numero uno conversation. Yeah. With all my friends, clients, coaches, everybody. It's mm. this it's this paradox. I think what's What's so interesting though is because for me, this is probably one of the first times in a while I've experienced this. Yeah. I thought it would be more discouraging to live a life where I didn't know what to do and was trying to figure it out and lost. But actually, it can feel more discouraging when you do know what to do. You've seen yourself as a person who's taken action previously when he did know what to do, but currently, for some reason, mm-hmm. you are not taking action on what you know you ought to be doing. Yep. Uh, bizarre, but. What's cool is I know now to just take action. <laughs> For sure. And and it, what's really, really funny is the only way I can collapse it is is I had to really start being honest. Because what I was saying is I wasn't taking action because I needed more information. What I wasn't being honest about is that the only way to get that information was to take action. Right. Right. Like I'm like, oh, I wonder if this headline's going to work or this one's going to work. I'm like, well, there's actually only one way to know. It's to post it. Right. Right. Or what event dates or what blank or what piece of content or what boom. And I was like, well, there's only one way to find out. It's to ask or it's to make it or it's to do it. And now it's funny because it's basically my day is relegated to 
catching myself in my bullshit as many times as possible and then reminding myself that I already know what to do right. and then choosing to do it. Yep. Yeah, that's like I feel like I'm parenting a three-year-old. Like I'm just parenting myself as an out-of-body experience. I love it. Yeah. That's an SOP for happiness. It is. Okay, <laughs> so we talked about the software part, like the mind piece, uh-huh. right? We talked about kind of understanding that a lot of our actions are going to come from our thoughts and our beliefs, right? So my friend Sharon Lecter says this all the time, if you change your thoughts, it'll change your beliefs and it will change your actions, mm-hmm. right? And so there's that. But then there's this physical component, right? And and I think, and I don't want to make a sweeping statement here. What I'm very aware of is how the current environment that we utilize to create the success that we have by default is basically damaging to the brain. And other factors as well that I feel like a lot of times get ignored and people think that, oh, my brain is my brain or it is that it is or the damage is already done. Right. And I don't think that's true. So what are some of the things that people can really start to like ask themselves or think about when it comes to their physical brain health to make it a part of their focus, knowing that it does pay dividends? For sure. You know, and and like, first of all, I think it's this acknowledgement that it's really important for you to have a healthy brain, um, for you to recognize that like, yeah, it definitely starts with the mind, right? When you feel like you're stuck and when you feel like you're trying to actually make progress, it starts with the mind for sure. But then there comes a point where you're like, okay, I'm doing my best here. I really am, but something's in the way. Mm -hmm. And it's the vessel that you're living with, right? Mm -hmm. It's the brain that you're thinking with that uh, if you can improve it, which you can, you will perform a lot better. Uh, you know, we were talking about this. Uh, it's an idea called neuroplasticity, yep, meaning like yep. the brain uh, can and does change based on the stimulus you provide to it. For sure. So like if you're constantly scrolling on TikTok or Instagram, like you're literally training your brain to have fragmented attention, mm-hmm. right? But if you are consciously choosing, and, and this is where the power of choice comes in. This is where the power of the mind actually comes in. If you're consciously choosing to use your mind and really We'll almost say using force or willpower to read and actually concentrate and say, hey, no, I'm going to engage in this reading with intention, three pages, five pages, seven pages. The brain will actually change its structure so that it will then focus more. And now reading three, five, seven pages won't be as hard. And then you set the intention to read for 20 pages and your focus goes up even more. And so there's a physical change that's actually happening in the brain Mm -hmm. as a result of the inputs that you give it. This is super powerful because like, let's just say, let's look at exercise, right? When you go to the gym and you you squat every day uh, for a month, well, a month later, your ability to squat more weight with more endurance is going to inevitably go up. Yep. Uh, with less willpower than it required on day one for sure brain is the same way for sure and i think i think it's important to think about it like that too like even when you were saying i was like my brain's a muscle i was like but it's different like that this is how my brain works this is why this is called the mind of george show because it it literally belongs in a fucking straight jacket (laughs) um but you're saying it's like oh yeah my brain's a muscle and i was like well my bicep's a muscle but when i want to flex my bicep i actually take a physical movement with my hand i'm like but my brain the physical movement of my brain is my intention and my focus. It's not something I can physically move, but it's the same muscle. I just have to pull the right lever to flex it. That's spot on. Yeah. That's spot on. And just like you use intention to actually do the bicep curl, yeah. you use intention to focus on the book. Which is so funny because like I'm an old bodybuilding guy, right? And I used to love listening to like the old guys, like the 60s and 70s. Like, And Arnold talked about a lot about this too. And a lot of these guys that were considered the greats, 
the Kai Greens, that all of them, the only difference between everybody that they talked about more than anything was their mind-muscle connection. Yep. And that they would well lifting and doing the same as everybody else in the same diets and like having similar structures would literally concentrate on flexing that muscle at every strain and like thinking that every fiber was stretching and like literally tuning in their nervous system to that activity and behavior. Right. And that's the beauty, right, is that all of mind-muscle connection really is. Yeah. Like we think it's this physical thing, which it manifests as a physical phenomena, but it's being intentional. Yeah. That's what it is being intentional towards a specific area in your body. For sure. And I think too, and, and this this happens is like I, sometimes I forget that a lot of the movements are subconscious. Like I don't have an awareness of a lot of the things that are happening. Right. And like I, I, I always, and this happens almost every time like breath work, right? Like I facilitate breath work a lot. Rarely, maybe once every two years, I'm in breath work. And most of my breath work teachers always end the same when we're done. They're like, oh, wiggle your toes take your hands and go touch your toes. And in those moments, I'm always met with like, when was the last time I fucking touched my toes? Right. And like, I touch it and I love what it feels like. Right. But I'm also reminded in that moment that like, I don't have an awareness of what this feels like. I don't ever touch my toes. Right. Wait, I don't even use my toes. Wait, when I'm walking barefoot, how do I even grip the floor? Right. Holy shit. I know nothing about my body. Right, right. That's crazy. It is. It's crazy. And then I was like, and then I get upset at it that it doesn't do what I tell it, but I don't even know what it is. Right. Like, right. and I played this at the event, the Sad Guru video. Yeah. Where he talks about we're in this vehicle, but yet whenever we have a chance, we never open up the owner's manual. Yep. And I'm like, but how? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe touch my toe. Yeah. Maybe like pinch my leg. Maybe like have gratitude for my fingers. Yep. Yep. And it's really funny. That's what I'm doing right now is I'm like, I'm acknowledging the existence of my fingers. But but you're right. Like, how often do we actually take the time and space to do that? Well, what's so funny is like in a lot of my trauma work in EMDR and in cognitive behavioral therapy, they create triggers or trigger points for positive things. But one of the ones they use all the time is that when you get emotionally overwhelmed to actually physically touch your body. Right. Because it brings you back to the presence and your awareness. Right. And right. it's like literally one of the best tools that we have as well. Yeah. We don't practice it. It's like one of the best off-gassing tools that connects us to our body and regulates our nervous system. Right. Uh, I would pop that over a Xanax any day. Any day. Let me tickle my toes. Let me feel my fingers. Right. Let me go do breath work. Right. Right. I, I, I think about that. Like I'm pretty bullish on environmental design and I think it's only because – I've now realized on both sides the power it's had on me. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And it's big. Yeah. And realizing like the stressors in our environment, the noise that we hear, the music that we listen to. For sure. And, For sure. And I just feel like I don't want to make it any harder than it already is. Yeah. I just want it easy. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, breath work has been the uh, weapon of choice for me as yeah. of the last three, three four months yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, that's been one of the most grounding things yeah. uh, in acknowledging my own existence in this moment. Yeah. Pulling me out of my chaos up here yeah. and just bringing me back to back to center. So. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your other like favorite little like one, two minute, five minute hacks, tools, tips, books, like anything that you love to do that kind of help you optimize your brain? For, for sure. Okay. So as far as like optimizing my brain, I mean, cold therapy. Yep. thousand percent. Fantastic. Um, which, by the way, thank you, Andrew Huberman. Yes. For everybody who gets mad and is like, I can't do that. 
the best dosage is 11 minutes cumulative total every seven days. Yep. That is the, that you are perfect at that dose. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. 11 minutes. Um, for just a fact about cold, by the way. Um, no, you keep going. I'm going to turn that volume off, but talk about cold. Yeah. So, so the, the, what they say is that immersion, immersion into cold water for five or more minutes will release an equivalent amount of dopamine as nicotine will, except whereas nicotine only lasts for uh, a couple minutes, uh, this dopamine release will last for a couple hours afterwards. Um, so that's pretty fascinating to me. Uh, that I'm, you... I'm obsessed with cold. Yeah, yeah. And I fucking hate being cold. <laughs> Just for the record, my wife tells everybody, oh, he's psycho. He does cold. He loves it. I don't love it. I love how it makes me feel. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've like obsessed about it. Scott Carney's book, What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us Stronger, yeah. first dive in which then led me to his book, The Wedge, which is about training your nervous system, which then led me down Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter, which then led me down the whole ice rabbit hole. And then I got to do an ice bath with Wim. Oh, and um, yeah, and like it was this kind of like cool journey. And now I have a um, hate-hate relationship with cold, but love the benefits. So I, I dance with it as required. George, you know you live in Montana, right? I do. Yeah. That's why. That's why it's easy to do cold here. Gotcha. Yeah, I yeah. also wear shorts every day, even when it's negative forty. You're incredible. And so I'm like cold <laughs> exposure, bro. Like osmosis as much as possible. I love. All it. All right, so cold is one. Breath is one. I mean, nootropics. Uh, you know, I make nootropics. nootropics. I let's nootropics. let's talk about your product. I love your product. Tell yeah. everybody about your product. For sure. Um, I love my product too, and that's really important. I think as a founder. So uh, we have three versions of Quantum Mind. Okay, we started with the Quantum Mind Classic. Um, Quantum Mind Classic is a blend of fourteen different ingredients. Um, it has three major purposes. The first is to help your your metabolism. <coughs> yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Help your metabolism, um, which ultimately your brain is creating energy or yep. ATP more effectively. Yeah, so that's the first thing. Um, with that, like an effect you'll get is your brain fog will go away. Like you go from like that foggy feeling mm-hmm. to that crystal clear feeling. Uh, it has some stimulants in it um, that work together to, of course, increase neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine. Makes you feel good, good mood. Yeah, um, helps with focus. Yeah, uh, uplifts you. And then the last thing is to synergize with that. There's also a blend of adaptogens and yep. amino acids to help with your stress response. So to lower cortisol. Got right? it. Right. And those three things work together um, to really create a clear, energized but stress-free feeling. Yeah. Um, so that was the classic. Now um, our customers. Uh, some of them wanted to continue drinking their coffee. Um, and because the classic had caffeine in it, Got we it. decided to make the non-stim version. Yep. And then we had another subset of customers that were like, hey, I want something stronger. So that's when uh, we made the gold and we just interchanged a few ingredients and we have the gold. And so uh, George's and mine and, and I believe uh, Mark and a lot of our customers, um, they love the gold. The gold um, is my jam. Yeah. Classic's great. Non-stim is great. Uh, I freaking love the gold, man. So I use classic and gold. Yeah. Those are the two that I use. And most of the people that I, because everybody who comes to the event gets some too uh, when you come to the event as well. But everybody that gets it, the, most of them end up at the gold. And then I hear about it from everybody. Yeah. It's helping me with my YouTube. This is helping me write more. Uh, I, I have had a few people like, I actually feel like I can focus on my kids and I'm not picking up my phone. Yeah. I explain it like, because I, I like try to hack everything, right? I have every device you can imagine, every red light, every brain device, every PEMF, like you name it, I've done it. Uh, I've taken every supplement. And I, I tell people, like, I'm aware of my boundaries, right? Like, I know when I can't focus anymore or do anything. And what I explain your product that does well for me is based on how much I take, 
it basically increases my buffer zone. Yeah. Right. It's like a safety net where I get 15% more capacity or focus or whatever that thing is at hand and an awareness of it. Yeah. And it kind of lets me regulate and stay in with like a different awareness of how I operate. I love that. And that's what it feels like to me. If you're saying 15%, that, that makes me feel really, really good and really proud. Uh, what I set out to do was 2% per yeah. day. Because if a person can improve their performance by 2% per day, yeah. compounded over and, time. And what I do is I probably, I, I take it, I'd say probably two to three times a week nice. and I reserve it for like intentional periods of creativity, huh. right? Like if I have like three or four podcasts that day or like when I'm consulting or teaching for like eight hours, um, I kind of use it to like stay in the pocket because what I've noticed too is like, I don't really ever have like a lack of energy. Mm. I have a lack of control of that energy to be efficient. Interesting. And so that what that what I'm talking about the like 15% is it kind of lets me harness it better. Yeah. Like so it doesn't leak out or it's not wasted or I don't end up down like a YouTube rabbit hole or I'm not ruminating too far like it 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 helps me have this like what it feels like is just a different level of awareness of my capacity and how to use it efficiently. Yeah, and like that was my original reason why I made it. There was multiple reasons. One is I wanted to make it as a replacement for Adderall. Yeah. Another was like I've just thought back to many experiences in my life where I had verbal fluency. I was talking to girls and I was like, damn, I have game right now. I wanted to replicate that all the time. Yeah. Um, so there was different reasons. But the one thing I noticed with, with Adderall was that like task switching yeah. was very difficult. Okay. Right? Whereas, you know, like what you're saying right now is that uh, – when you're on the gold, you're able to use it to allocate your energy where you want to. Yeah. And I think the problem with very stimulant-based or stimmy-based uh, compounds, whether it's an Adderall or whether it's just a, a nootropic that's really heavily stimulated or a pre-workout, the problem is you get your head on one thing and you're on that thing, even if it's not the best thing for you to do. A thousand percent. You know? So like I used to try to use pre-workout to work huh. and it didn't really work. Because then I wanted to be like an animal. Right. Uh, then my ears would start tingling, which I love because I love beta alanine and yeah. niacin because I'm a savage like that. Uh, probably because I'm a recovering addict. Yeah. And I like intensity. Sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that feeling, by the way. Uh-huh. Easily adds like 65 pounds to my PR. Boom. Um, doesn't help me recording podcasts. Doesn't really help me focus. Typically like increase my anxiety. Yeah. Right. And right. so, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting too because a lot of compounds that I isolated over the years when like working on focus or things or things that you have in the product. So it was kind of like the best of all worlds for me. I love it. So by the way, I am not paid to say this. I do not have any kickback. I didn't have any deal. And uh, I was supportive of the product way before Neil and I ever did business together. I actually really love the product. Yeah, so so. Um, I'm a big fan of it. Big fan. That. Um I want to throw one in the mix. I think one of the biggest ones for me for brain health, a couple of things, and I'm pretty bullish on the three of them besides what we talked about. Number one, red light therapy. Huge, huge. My buddy owns Juve red lights. I love them. I use it every day. They're, I have like 28 at the house. Mm. We have them in every single room, including oh, all the guest rooms for amazing, everybody. Amazing. Red lights are big for me. Number two, I'd say like one of my new secret weapons this last year has been the brain tap, um, which is... Uh, basically like binaural beats, hypnosis, um, personal development tracks interlaced with red and blue light therapy with sonics and heat in the ears to help with full resonance done in tracks. I love that thing. And then my happy, yeah, which is my PEMF device or yeah. ultra low radio frequency device. Those three I would throw in the mix of like, those are like some of my three things that you can add to the mix outside of breath work or cold therapy or, you know, working out or things like that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Any, um, any like 
dope foods that like people don't understand are like really fucking good for their brain? Uh, fats in general. Okay. Like fats, uh, omega fatty acids. Yeah. Healthy fats. Healthy fats. Like salmons, avocados, macadamia nuts. Yes. Not donuts. No donuts. Yes. yes. We are not talking about the Dunkin' Donut brain health here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So healthy fats. Okay, cool. I think that's it. Now, just out of curiosity, what's your current favorite book recommendation? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I'm reading the the book, the little book on clarity right now. So that's we just had Jamie on the podcast though. So go back four episodes. You can listen to the author. There you go. Yeah, that that's interesting. So I mean, that's a great book. That's that's proximity bias. <sighs> My favorite. Book. Oh, I haven't used that word in years. Proximity bias. Thank you yeah. for just adding that back to my arsenal. New vocabulary, right? Proximity bias. Yeah. Um, I love biographies. So mm. reading Elon Musk's biography. I haven't read that yet. Yeah. It changed my life. Reading Steve Jobs' biography changed my life. And here's why. Like, I don't really want anybody to tell me how to be successful. Mm-hmm. I want to observe people who have been successful in the past and then synthesize it through my lens and see what they've done. Right. And you kind of talk about like, I, you know, I could come to uh, one of your events in Montana and then I could come to the event in Austin yep. and you could be teaching some similar material in it, yep. but I'm going to synthesize it in such a different way based on where I'm at in life. Thousand percent. Um, and that's why it's cool for me to read biographies um, because I'm the one who's synthesizing it based on where I'm at at that point. Thousand percent. And so I've actually read these biographies multiple times. And I've taken different things. Yeah. So, for example, like the first time when I'm re- reading Steve Jobs' biography, um, taking risks and betting on yourself—that was what I took. Right. Um, after I started taking risks and betting on myself, then I would read it again and being absolutely obsessed, crazy obsessed with design. Yeah. Right. And and customer experience. Yep. That was the next thing I took. And so, um, but as far as recommendations, like I love biographies. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's biography was amazing. Mm. Um, uh, uh, reading Vanderbilt's biography was really uh, mm. interesting. So uh, I enjoy them. I love that. Yeah, I've actually noticed as I get older, I don't add as many books. I go back to the ones I have because they've been so effective yeah. that now I only really add a new book if like I come across a new challenge or I have a new question around something that like I haven't heard before. You're really good at applying what you read in books and like and not a lot of people are like there's people that are reading 52 books a year which is great by the way like yeah good for you like for real but um i noticed that like when you read a book and refer to a book like one you know what you're talking about in that book yeah and two it applies so well in the situation yeah and something else you do which is really cool is you'll take two books and you'll tie the pieces together do do that and then you make a lesson out of it and it's it's you give credit where credit's due yeah but that's an innovation in itself because you're taking the ideas and putting them together yeah because i think well i think the difference is like and i have to thank a few friends for this but like i didn't start reading books till about seven years ago yeah i'd like i read the hot zone in 10th grade biography and then the scarlet letter bro (laughs) that was it man that That was was my book terrible book and then i think at like one point i read like a personal development book couple of Jesus books. There you go. Like a page or two and then put them down, right? Like, but that was it. Yeah. And then I started reading and I would start and I would fucking hate the book I was reading. So I wouldn't pick up another one. So I was like, I have to finish the book. And I had a client who's like one of the world's best poker players. He's like, bro, I don't ever finish books. If I pick it up and it doesn't interest me, I put it down and pick another one up. Yeah. If I get to a point in the book that no longer interests me, I just put it down. Sometimes I finish it, sometimes I don't. I was like, what? You can do that? You're allowed to do that. <laughs> and then that was like part one. And then uh, my buddy Garen Jones, who was on the podcast, who's an incredible man, was in federal prison and this whole incredible story. Go listen to the Garen Jones episode if you haven't. But he talked about 
how he read the power of positive thinking and he read it every day until he had it memorized. Mm. And his new rule was uh, he wasn't going to read it until he understood it. He was going to read it until he was it. Wow. And so I'd say the last four years, the books that I pull from and I reference a ton, I've probably listened to The Catalyst by Jonah Berger 17, 18 times. Huh. I've listened to Contagious More. The Comfort Crisis is once a quarter. The mm. Go-Giver is probably 35 times. Amazing. And so like I truly like if, if I, there's another lesson, I go find it. I go right back to that book. And yeah. like that's why like I know the catalyst inside and out and all the lessons. I was like, oh, new problem. Oh, that's the reminder. Oh, I see it. Oh, shit. That's good. Yeah. And that's just kind of how I learned. So I also don't like pick the book up and go like cover to cover. I'll be like, shit. And I was like, what did that mean? And I'll just go back to that chapter. Yep. And I'll listen to it for that challenge or that moment. And then I immediately apply it, which is why I learn it so fast. Absolutely. Because I can't like, and and it's important. I I I struggle reading. I have to listen to the books. Mm-hmm. Cause when I'm listening to it, as soon as I get clarity, I start doing it while I'm listening to it. Right. That's like how I have to do it. So what I actually do, and this is recent, is I have the 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 written copy yeah. and the audiobook. Yeah. And you know, I'll listen to it at double speed to get it done twice as fast. Yeah. Um, but I find that I retain more. It's actually it's scientifically done. proven to be way more effective that way. Yeah. Way more effective that way. For sure. But yeah, I think that's what it is too. And then like what I'll do is like if I remember a part of a book or like vaguely and I have that problem, I'll just go to YouTube or I'll find the book summary of that chapter. Love and it. then I'll just go find the cliff notes as like the reminder or I'll pick up in doing that, that person's perspective of the summary. Right. And so then I get their perspective of the author's perspective. Yeah. And so that's how I pick up so many examples. I love it. I love it. Yeah. If you believe in hypnosis, which you should believe in hypnosis. Yes, 1,000%. Um, then you believe in reading books multiple times. Yes. Right. Yeah, 1,000%. You know. 1,000%. Like, I feel like I win because I hypnotize myself. Yes. Like, when I say environmental design, like, I mean, you're in my office. Yep. There is not one negative thought allowed to exist in this office. Nope. Like, there are this is a negative thought eradicating office it, like it really is guys it's crazy and here's what's so funny if i'm in a really bad mood and i can't break it i can't be in this office yeah it like forces me to leave yep and i love that and i hate it for the accountability at the same time yep but i i talk about environmental design so much because i've gone through the extremes of getting it right after ayahuasca i did no music for a year mm. and that was not hard but then I was like, that's a little rigid. Right. Right. But I was like, God, the shit I'm listening to, I'm living out of my life. Yeah. I was like consuming rap and and, and nothing wrong with it. I still love it. Yep. But I also had to understand that I was I was behaving the, around the things I was listening to. Right. But then I like loosened up. I was like, all right, positive music, instrumentals. It doesn't have to be so hard. Yeah. One that's that is who you are as a person, though. And I see a lot of of how people engage with you yeah and how they engage with me or at least yeah. how i engage with you and how people engage with me yeah. where it's like just you as an existence is a reminder of the best version of who i am yeah but the problem with that is the best version of who i am shows up every day the best version of who i am you know will will polarize my negative thoughts to positivity yeah. the best version of who i am sees opportunities and problems yeah 
and the reason that's a problem is because that could be at times fucking hard. Oh, for sure. Or fucking frustrating. For sure. It's like, shit, I got to wake up and stay calm despite my trauma pattern. Oh, well, 1,000%. Shit, I got to pour love into people despite, you know, financial troubles, right? And when I see you, I'm like, motherfucker, he believes in me. I believe in me. I got to be that guy. And yeah. that's why I notice a lot of times when people are not being their best selves, they avoid me. Yep. Because they're like, well, Me too. Right. right. Me too. <laughs> right. Oh, bro. It's so easy for me. Yeah. Uh, from a mile away, I watch all the turtles pop their heads in the hole, and I'm like, "You fuckers! Yeah, you know I'm coming for you, right? Like, I okay, got it. Like, like hello, admission of guilt. Yeah, right. But it's important to design your life like that because because Mark Mark is it like is. that for me too. It is. My whole life is like that. Yeah, my friend circle, my family, my kids. Yeah, even my six year old son checks me on things that I say intentionally. Yeah, so that he doesn't let me be a lazy dad. Right. And I've even said to him, if I say this, say this back to me. And he will. I'm like, mother fudge. Oh. God, I just want to be lazy today. Yeah. I can't. No way out. It's so good, though. Yeah, it is. It and is. and I, I, I say this because like, I don't think I'm going to stop being bullish on environmental design. Yeah. And I think it's so huge to recognize like what your thoughts play on like your emotional health and that environment. Yeah, yeah. What your physical environment plays in like what you focus on and what you remember and what you see and like. You know, I used to think all this stuff was woo-woo. Right. And it, it's it's not. It, it really, really is just utilizing the rest of the field that's in the game that we have mm -hmm. to help us win. Yep. Like, I look at it now of, like, having my office like this is, like, literally having, like, a soul masseuse at my disposal. Yeah. And then I add, like, a nutritionist. And yeah. then I add, like, a therapist. And then I add, like, a mindset coach. Yep. And, like, all the things I have in my office, on my phone, the background of my phone. Those are all my coaches of like, no, 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 no. You've got this. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're okay. Hey, take a breath. Oh, that your son's why you're doing this. Oh, that's the woman you married. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're completely safe. Just so I, I think what I understood about myself is that the thoughts aren't going to go away. Mm -hmm. They're never going to go away. So the faster I can eradicate them, the faster I win the game. Mm -hmm. And the more I eradicate them, the more naturally I eradicate them without it becoming a pattern that I have to choose. It's a muscle once again. And so like, that's why I'm so bullish on the environment, man. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, cool. Last question. Last question. Imagine that everybody listening to this podcast forgot absolutely everything we talked about. Yeah. And you have the opportunity to tattoo wisdom on their soul right now that they're going to take with them for the rest of their life. Yep. What would your tattoo wisdom be? You have the power and are responsible for the change that you want to make in your life. Whether you believe it in this moment or not, that is the truth. You are responsible for and have the power to change whomever you want to be so that you can show up and change whatever you want in your life. I love that. And I heard somebody say this the other day in a video. It said, uh, what happened to you in life is not your fault, but changing it is your responsibility. Yep. And I was like, zinger. Yep. Thank you for collapsing all of my bullshit and eradicating it in yep. one simple fortune cookie. One sentence, yep. <laughs> I love it, man. We'll have to do a round two when you guys fly back out. For real. Um, this was a blast. Yep. Real quick, give everybody the website again. Tell them where to connect with you. We mentioned Evolve Air. We mentioned Quantum Mind Gold. But tell everybody where to connect with you so they can find more of your genius. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
evolver.co. So it's www.evolver.co. You can get any of the quantum minds. You can get Transcend uh, over there. Um, but if you want to talk to me, which I would absolutely love to talk to you, um, join our free Facebook group. That's the Evolver group. Uh, or follow me on Instagram, uh, neal.thakkar. And once again, please shoot me a message. Um, if you follow me, uh, I will shoot you a message. So that is guaranteed. You could find me there. Uh, and George, I appreciate you and I appreciate you having me on here and appreciate of course, man. everything. So It was a pleasure. And if he doesn't respond to you, I will bully him and beat him up. I <laughs> he, promise. He will. I promise. But he will. Anyway, so it was a pleasure, man. We'll have to do round two. I uh, this The conversation was a gift. It, it, it was actually just really, really fun back and forth. I'm having trouble remembering what we talked about, which means it had to be a really good conversation. I agree with that too. So if you're listening to this, uh, I'm not going to summarize this one because I don't have a summary. There you go. So we'll let the takeaway be the summary and hopefully it landed with you enough. But that's what we got in today's episode. So this was another episode of The Mind of George. So remember, most importantly, that relationships will always beat algorithms, especially the one with yourself. And given how we gave you, I don't know, a multitude of 13 tools to choose from today, to help with that relationship, my invitation is to pick one up and actually swing that motherfucker because it's the only way it works. So I will either see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, we out. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.